Well, hello, everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And welcome to Calling All Spirits. How are you doing, Jess? I am good. I'm happy to be recording again with you now that you have your voice back. Yeah, it's a little rough some days, but I can at least be heard now. Last week and the week before were rough. I was basically mute for a while. I mean, it was crazy. I know. And me and Bree and everybody else is like, you are not allowed to send voice messages. You can only send us text messages. We have all the roommates in the house now. And everyone was like, Caitlin, what? I I hear words, but Caitlin's not allowed to talk. So clearly she can't be talking. (laughs) Thank you for supporting me in my vocal recovery. But also, meh, rude. No, I I know, I know. I I was worried. I, which I mean, I'm worried about you. I was like, gosh, this, and so I'm just I'm just glad it's finally kind of subsided. And so am I. Like I haven't had a cold yeah. this bad in a while. COVID didn't hurt this much last last year. That's crazy because COVID took you down. Like that's the only other time we've had a break. I was out for well, I got back to back cases last year. <laughs> well, that's true. That um, is. But true. yeah, I was laid out flat last year. But this time, no, I had. Uh, the doctor was giving me special inhalers and like oh industrial God. strength cough medicine and I still wanted to die. So oh. I'm glad that I did not join the spirit world and we can record this the easy way. Yes, no, exactly. And and I mean, it's kind of been a, I mean, not, I wouldn't want you to get sick, but because of it, it's kind of built up some, some suspense over this story because I couldn't talk to you about it and I didn't, and, and I didn't want you to talk to me about it. So I'm like, Okay, there's some crazy stuff, Caitlin, and I, I can't tell you <laughs> what's happening. Well, I'm glad that we're finally here and you can finally do the big reveals <laughs> because apparently, like, I suggested that worst case scenario, we just have Bree sub in for me and the spirit guide is on the recording, but that was that was not good enough for Miss Jessica and she wanted my reactions. Therefore, yeah. that's actually why we're recording this one on video as well as audio so that you can see my absurd reactions to whatever it is that she's about to tell me. Well, and okay, I love our spirit guide. It's nothing against her. It was, to be honest, it was more of, we're going to be talking about some crazy stuff and there's no way you're going to be able to sit in the background and not comment <laughs> on this. Like, I know you, like we could have had Brie here too. I love our spirit guy but I'm like there's no way Caitlin's not gonna be talking about this like there's no way so there would be a reaction episode where Caitlin listens to the episode and shares her responses exactly so it's like no we gotta wait we got that's valid um but yeah I mean because I feel like this is gonna be a long one I have tried to cut it down but this is the longest set of notes I've ever had but there's too much not to talk about so should we just like dive on in I I'm here for it I think we should absolutely just get to it Okay, well, okay, so the home is called Winfield Hall, and most people probably, unless you live in, like, New York, you've probably never heard of this house before, but you have seen it. It's been featured in several videos and in movies, and even right now with the Taylor Swift concert and the craze, it was actually in a Taylor Swift video as well. So it has a really cool connection, though I did watch the video today. It's just the interior, so ignore the exterior of the home. That's that's not Winfield. Um, it was for her music video for Blank Space. Um, so it feels very timely that we're covering Winfield right now. It seems like you're pretty on the pulse with this one. Well done. <laughs> I wish I had planned that, but I did not. I learned about Taylor like two days ago. <laughs> you didn't have to plan it. Spirit did. It's fine. <laughs> there you go. So how I 
came to find this house, just a little backstory, was I used to be obsessed with this show called um, Life Among the Dead. Did you ever watch that with Lisa Williams, the medium? Okay, another tie back to Joan Quigley. She was also discovered by Merv Griffin. He was the one that created her show because she impressed him so much with her mediumship ability. So kind of a fun fact. But um, so I w- it's no longer on the air, but I would watch the old episodes on YouTube. And I came across this unaired pilot that they shot. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And she went to this amazing home called Winfield Hall. And I don't know, something about the spirit she picked up there and what she tapped into just stuck with me. It fascinated me. And I'm like, where is this home? And that's how I came across the book, which is where a lot of what I'm talking about today, this is where a lot of the information comes from, is called Winfield Living in the Shadow of the Woolworths. And it's by a lady named Monica Randall. That's a spectacular title, I'm not going to lie. It's honestly one of my all-time favorite books. I've read it now twice. It is a mystery. It's got romance. It's got ghosts. I mean, and if you love historic homes, you have to read this book. And I will put it out there before we get started. I didn't spoil the ending of the book. I started to tell you what happens because it does have a ghostly element to it. And it's really scary. But I'm like, no, because I want people to read the book. You have to read this book. So I'm going to tell you a lot. I'm not going to tell you how the story ends. So you're going to pull a reading rainbow on us and say, if you want to find out how the rest of the book (laughs) is, check it out at your local library. Yes, but I'm not. But I promise you, there is enough to make everyone happy that we're going to talk about today. Um, But that's where a lot of this information will will come from is from Monica's book, along with um, several biographies on Woolworth as well. Now, of course, we have to. I thought it'd be appropriate to set the tone for this story. And set the mood. And I wanted to begin with a poem. Oh, I said it. I did the Jessica <laughs> way of saying it. Sorry. The Texas way. Okay. I don't want to. This has to be creepy. I have to start with the poem. Okay. Whatever. But it was written by Mrs. Reynolds, who purchased Winfield Hall in 1929. And this this was found inside a seat cushion. Mo- yes, when Monica was reupholstering some chairs, she found this. It had been like it was in a seat cushion. And this is what it said. In this bleak hour of gathering gloom, can faith outsoar impending doom? The mind seized with nameless fright spars its shadows in the night. Storms tossed waters to see at sea. Down the road, demonic trees stretch out their arms towards me and then on the back she wrote searching the darkness for his tomb that sets the tone for this house okay came out (laughs) punching then wow i already know what trees and whose tomb (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna get there we're gonna get there but before we get to winfield hall We have to set the scene and we have to talk about the man that built this gilded palace, which was Frank Winfield Woolworth. So Frank Woolworth was born to John and Fanny Woolworth on April 13th, 1852 in Rodham, New York. And one of America's wealthiest men had a very humble beginning. So at a very young age... Frank and his brother Sumner, who they called Sum, had to help with the family's struggling farm by milking cows and tending to their potato crops 
seven days a week in rain, sleet, snow, whatever it may be. Um, some Woolworth recalled, we always had enough to eat, but the struggle to make ends meet was never absent. So pretty bare beginnings <laughs> for Mr. Woolworth. In his early years, Frank attended school in Great Bend, New York, and it was noted that he was a bright student, pleasant in disposition, who always completed his lessons. And Frank showed a particular interest in art and music. And one of his proudest possessions as a child was a flute, the first of many instruments he attempted to play. And while he really wasn't a successful musician, he did retain his lifelong passion for music. I like how they phrased and it as attempted come. to learn how to play. Like, <laughs> that speaks yes. volumes unto itself. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't sound like he was ever super successful, um, but that is going to come into play. Um, now, art and music weren't the only things Frank Woolworth was passionate about. He would soon hear tales of a great emperor who would have a profound effect on him for the rest of his life. Dun, dun, dun. So it's believed that Woolworth's fascination, and some would really say obsession, with Napoleon Bonaparte began as a young boy. That's what you meant so by I emperor. I okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yes, the emperor. Yes. Now, Napoleon's brother, Joseph Bonaparte, the one-time king of Spain, had come to America and built a home for his mistress in Great Bend, which was just a few miles from the Woolworths farm. Um, and a little further, I mean, this is before they were there, but that's where it was. And a little further away was Lake Bonaparte, Joseph's hunting lodge, where he and his followers would float in Venetia gondolas. They would fish and dream of this new Napoleonic empire that they hoped would come to be. It was also here that plots were devised to rescue Napoleon from St. Helena. So as a young man, Frank would have listened eagerly to these stories of past splendor, dreaming of the day he would leave the farm behind and be surrounded by Napoleonic grandeur. And he chased that dream for the rest of his life. Spoiler I mean, alert. I guess dream now, big. <laughs> oh, he did. Yeah. He did. Now, at the age of 16, um, Woolworth schooling was over and he began working full time on the family farm, which he detested this work. Um, so with the help of his mother, who saved up a little bit of money, he was able to take courses at a commercial college um, and found a job in working as a store clerk, which was more important to him was he was just leaving the yeah. farm. He didn't care where he was going as long as he got farm. off the farm. No. So he landed his first job at the small general store and he was hired to help, but they couldn't pay him. But he was so happy to be away from the farm. He didn't care. He was just grateful. Like, I get some experience. This is wonderful. I'll take it. Um, he later took another job at a larger store, delivering packages, washing windows, sweeping floors, kind of all the dirty work. And again, he agreed to work without pay, at least for the first three months, because of the valuable knowledge and experience he was gaining. Um, but eventually he did work out a deal to be paid $3. I almost say he's setting an awfully uh, convenient precedent for all of the unpaid internships that we have <laughs> people struggling to make ends meet with. You're gaining experience. Cool. I'm homeless in the meantime. Could you not? This is not a good I example. I, I was like, I thought of my student teaching days. They're like, we're not going to pay you, but look what you get out of it. It's like doing art for exposure. I, like, okay, at a certain point, y'all, I need to eat. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Now, it's kind of funny. His skills as a cellman were really lacking. He was not good at it. But he soon discovered that he had a real talent for dressing the store's windows. Um, and it was attracting in more customers. Now, eventually, Woolworth left and went to work for an even bigger rival dry goods store. Um, but he became disillusioned with this job. He was getting paid, but he became really disillusioned with it. And his health started taking a turn for the worse. And in a moment of desperation, his mother wrote to him a message of encouragement. And she ended her letter with, someday, my son, you will be a rich man. And he was. Now, during this time, Woolworth also met his future wife, Jenny Crichton, a young lady from Canada who was working as a seamstress. He proposed, and on June 11th, 1876, they were married in the parlor of his family's home. And they were so happy, but they were penniless. They, they had nothing. Um, so they purchased a farm with some help and began raising chickens and growing potatoes. So Back to the farm. Woolworth was back. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. He was back at the farm, and times were so tough, they were just kind of doing anything to survive. He got lucky. Eventually, Woolworth received a letter from W.H. Moore, one of his previous employers, to come back to his store and dress the windows again because they had learned that, gosh, these were good for business. And this decision is what's going to change the tra trajectory of his life. So while working at the store, Woolworth heard about a competing store offering a five-cent table and how successful it had been. So Woolworth wanted to replicate the same thing, and he arranged a display of five-cent five items that included pins, crocheting needles, baby bibs, soap, and more. And word spread quickly of the five-cent goods, and by nightfall, the tables were bare, and customers were demanding more. We want more of this. And Woolworth knew he was onto something, so he thought, I'm going to open up a store where it's all five-cent items inside. It's the original dollar store. Yes, or 99 it was cent the store. original dollar store. And he does originally, he does later add the 10 cent to it. So it became the five and dime. But yes, the original. Oh, serious? It's the five and dime? Are you kidding me? It's Woolworth's five and dime. How did I not <laughs> put that together? Ta-da! I love those light bulb moments, though. <laughs> like, I'm going to blame the fact that these names like to repeat and they're not always related <laughs> to each other. But like, yeah, no giant light bulb. The light over my head light bulb. Yeah. Wow. This is the Woolworth. It, it wasn't a success right off the bat, but through trial and error, by June 21st, 1879, Woolworth launched his first successful five and ten cent store in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And the next several years, stores were opened all over the U.S., and they would eventually go over even into Britain. By 1895, there were 28 stores with sales reaching $1 million. And by 1900, there were 59 stores with $5 million in sales. So, um, yeah, he... He did it. And as the business grew, so did his family. Frank and Jenny would have three daughters, Jessie, Helena, and Edna Woolworth as well. This growing family needed a bigger home, so they moved into a palatial 30-room mansion on Fifth Avenue's Millionaire's Row. So Frank had made it. I know. <laughs> Went from that little farm to Millionaire's Row. wonder how many unpaid interns he had. <laughs> Makes it a little bit easier to save that money, huh? Well, it's possibility because when it got, I kind of read what I had to for the business portion and then I skipped a couple of jobs. Valid. So, yeah, they, they could be in there. I don't know. Now, this home was filled with gilt paneling, opulent furnishings, colorful rugs, 
and luxurious bedroom suites and even more. Now, his prized item in this home was an organ that he designed himself that could be played by the push of a button. It would play itself. And to add to the performance, he had concealed lights that would change colors to follow the music according to the mood of the piece, oil portraits of the composers that would appear from behind a panel, and even sound effects of thunder, rain, and lightning would resound through the home. So, I mean, this was a spectacular performance. Is that not insane? And he helped design this. Like, he figured out the mechanics of it. I'm going to say, I want to know how those mechanics work. Like, I mean, I understand player pianos, but this Mm -hmm. is next level. Mm Mm-hmm. Next level. And by the way, he's going to repeat this in in Winfield. We'll talk about it. And also with their newfound wealth, the Woolworths began to travel the world. Frank, one person described him as a chronic tourist, which I think is (laughs) factual. And he took yearly buying trips, visiting historic sites, and attending operatic performances throughout Europe. Now, during these trips, the Woolworths, Woolworths spent much of his time and fortune collecting Napoleonic memorabilia. I forgot he was fanboying while he was doing all of this. Oh, he was traveling around Europe trying to buy up anything that had to do with Napoleon, especially if it had been owned by Napoleon, which, by the, which and as you know, is not uncommon for the rich Mm-mm. of these days. I mean, they're, they're buying up all these antiques and things. I mean, I was reading one account of one of the homes on the Gold Coast where, where Winfield Hall is, they brought cobblestones back from a castle that supposedly is where Marie, um, not Marie, I was about to say Marie Antoinette, she was beheaded, not Marie Antoinette, but Mary Queen of Scots was beheaded. I mean, it's just crazy the things peop- these rich Americans are bringing back from Europe. So he's doing the same. He's just focusing on Napoleon. That's, that's what he's buying up. And once on a tour to Napoleon's palace, Upon entering Napoleon's chamber, he, Woolworth, decided that he would build his own version one day, but his would be better and grander than the original. He was going to outdo Napoleon on that. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with. Now, he also traveled to Egypt, which is going to come into play. And legend says that on one of his trips, he brought back a sarcophagus with a mummy inside. Which is crazy to say that's also not that far Tell me he didn't suffer from headaches. For the time period. (laughs) (laughs) Did he? I'm like, no, no. But he did suffer from something else. We will talk about it. Was ground up mummy the perceived cure? Because that's the question (laughs) I have. Because he wasn't a painter, so I'm not worried about mummy brown. No, no. um, I think he had... Other plans for this. Oh, dear Lord. Why do I not feel better? (laughs) Don't feel better. By 1912, with 596 stores and $65 million in capital, Woolworth was determined to have a visual representation of his success. And new headquarters for the newly formed F.W. Woolworth & Company were... Uh, built in 1913 at a cost of $13.5 million, which he paid for in cash, by the way. The Woolworth Building in New York City became the tallest skyscraper in the world, and it was a title it held for 17 years. President Woodrow himself turned on the electric lights on April 24th, illuminating more than 5,000 windows. So, It was known as the Cathedral of Commerce, and it stood 792 feet tall. And by the way, it is still standing today. It's still there. 
And upon entering the opulent lobby, guests would marvel at the vaulted ceilings, marble walls, grand staircase, stained glass skylights, and colorful mosaics of blue, green, and gold. And they described it as a flood of dazzling jewels glittering in the sunlight. Like, that's what you saw when you walked in. Oh, and the, oh, it's worth Googling that he also had these creepy, they're almost like, they're, they're men, but they almost are like gargoyles, but these creepy caricatures of himself and all the men that made the building possible, like carved, and they're all around the lobby, and they are so freaky looking. So there's like one of him, one of the architect, but it's like, it's, it, they're creepy. And there's one of him too that's like, no better, like it's just as creepy, but yeah. Okay. So that was in there in that opulent lobby too. And his headquarters were located on the 24th floor of the building. And of course, he proclaimed them the handsomest office of any corporation in this country and possibly the world. And not shocking, his personal office was decorated with Napoleonic items from his travels, including a life size portrait of the emperor in his coronation robes, a life size bust of Napoleon as Julius Caesar, and a clock purported to have been given to Napoleon by the Tsar Alexander I of Russia. You know what strikes me about him what? is his humility. <laughs> yeah, I know. He was such a humble man. And and I will put this out there. Reading the traditional biographies of Woolworth, it's like, kind of paint him as like, oh, he was just this man that rose up in the ranks. He was such a good guy. And then you read Monica's book about her life at Winfield. It's like, oh, this is two very different portraits. So one of those biographies was not <laughs> approved by the family lore uh, keeper <laughs> and historian. And the rest of them were approved with the rubber stamp of, yes, you can say this about the family. Exactly. That's kind of my thoughts, too. This is where it's going to start turning a little bit. Now, the following year in 1914, Woolworth purchased property in Glencove, New York, on the opulent Gold Coast of Long Island. And the Gold Coast, for anybody that doesn't know, was a 12-mile stretch of these Gilded Age mansions that were designed to be like Italian villas and French chateaus and even castles complete with moats. And it would later inspire F. Scott Fitzgerald's classic, The Great Gatsby. Uh, that yeah, actually that's... makes a lot of sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's even um, the home in the newest movie where Gatsby lives. I always thought, was there a house that really looked like that? Oh, it, there was. There was one. They modeled it. I think it was owned by Vanderbilt, but don't quote me on that. But it looked just like wow. it. It's just wild. Um, so Woolworth's second home was originally built by Dr. Alexander Humphreys in 1899. And it sat on 18 acres of lawn and woodland. Mysteriously, on November 10th, 1916, Woolworth's grand house in Glen Cove burned to the ground. Now, while the official cause was determined to be defective wiring, some suspected the fire may have been intentional, possibly. <coughs> Insurance fraud. <coughs> exactly. Well, it was well known that Woolworth wanted to build a new home on the site. Something a little grander. And so there was conveniently a fire. And it didn't help to add to the growing suspicion that construction on the new home began immediately because completed design plans literally seemed to appear overnight. Oh, my Walmart's goodness. Preferred architect. Fancy <laughs> that. Were. How fortuitous the timing is on this situation. 
Maybe he had been planning to build and had just gotten the process started. We don't know. Absolutely. Nothing, nothing weird about that. Now, workers labored around the clock and the new 30,000 square foot mansion was completed in a matter of months at the cost of $9 million, which was a whole lot back then. You can barely and get a we'll- cookie cutter home built right now in less than six months. Yeah, no, matter of months. I mean, they said they worked 24-7 to get this new home built. And he named his lavish new mansion Winfield Hall. And Winfield was his middle name. Because he always he already had the Woolworth building, so go to the middle name. I suppose he didn't name it like Napoleon Hall. You have to make sure you honor every aspect of yourself, I guess, in this case. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of surprising he didn't name it like Malmaison, which was Napoleon's palace. Like, he at least went for his name. <laughs> like I don't know if that's better or worse, honestly, given his ego. Well, this is true. This is true. Well... Guests to the new Winfield Hall entered the property through an imposing arch over the front gates, echoing the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, France. Naturally. Appropriate. (laughs) Naturally. And soon, this imposing three-story Italian Renaissance palace of white marble would appear before them. Now, Woolworth said he used so much marble in this house because he just wanted to ensure that his new home was less susceptible to fire, since the first one had burned down. So... Makes sense, and maybe that's true, but I mean, it's also pretty mm-hmm. impressive as well. Um, now, of, upon entering the home, guests would find themselves in the magnificent Great Hall with marble walls, a stunning ceiling of gilded ornamental plaster, and a grand staircase made entirely of marble. So, in addition to this Great Hall, there was an ornately paneled dining room with a 30 foot carved oak table. You saw the dining room, a library, a study, a music room, a ballroom, a billiard room, solarium. And, of course, numerous bedrooms and bathrooms. And if guests looked closely throughout the home, they would see eagles, bees, and the letter N carved into the intricate woodwork. All the eagle and the bees, and all of it was to represent Napoleon. Bees were used to represent Napoleon? Mm-hmm. I had to look that up. I think it's for the Bonaparte. Like, But, like, he usually put, like, these, they called them the little interior, in, ugh, imperial bees. But, like, the hmm. eagle symbology and the bee symbology was all big with Napoleon. Yeah, I remember the eagle symbology, but I don't remember the bees. That's... I didn't know that either. And it's... Okay, how weird is this? My husband started reading a book on Napoleon as I was doing this. And he didn't know I was doing this. And I came downstairs. I'm like, why are you reading a book on Napoleon? Like, all of a sudden. Because you're thinking so loud he could hear you? I think so, too. But I asked him. I was like, okay, so what's up with the bees? He's like, oh, yeah, that was kind of one of his symbols. So, apparently. At least you had an expert conveniently located downstairs. I know. And that's kind of all I wanted to hear about about Napoleon. Um, But it just shows he's putting this into every inch of his house. Now, the music room held one of Winfield's most treasured items, another organ. So, inside this highly gilded room... Just like in his home in New York was an organ that if you pressed a button, but this time when you press the button, the walls would begin to move, panels would recede, and a small stage would extend into the room. Am I supposed to be getting House on Haunted Hill vibes? Okay, thank you. Oh, it's reminding me of, yes, (laughs) yes, you are. You're supposed to be getting those. And just like in New York, it had the lights and the sound effects and everything else to go with it. Wow. But... This music room held a secret. Behind hidden panels in the walls were a series of passages and catwalks that people could use 
to climb up to the top and they would have a perfect vantage point to secretly spy on all those down below. Okay, was this house the basis of House on Haunted Hill? Possibly. This gave me this gave me so many haunted house vibes. It gave me like rose red vibes. It gave me like so many. I don't know if it was the actual basis, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, this is kind of the still a little bit lighter, but we'll talk a little bit more. The grounds of the house, in addition to the main home, there was a 17,000 square foot carriage house, two stories. Um, that had additional rooms. There were two greenhouses with lavish gardens. And when Winfield, um, excuse me, when Woolworth lived there, there were 75 gardeners just to attend to their lavish gardens. And it was said that fresh flowers were always found throughout the house, even when the Woolworths were away traveling. Still had to make sure flowers were inside the rooms of the home. Uh, there was a fountain with ornate statues, including King Neptune. But here, again, a little creepy. There was also a series of secret tunnels that extended from the main house to various areas of the property, which was actually not unusual. A lot of these grand homes I was reading about had these secret tunnels that came in really handy in, during Prohibition for smuggling in alcohol, Valid. but they were built before that. Yeah. But so it's not that unusual. They had one tunnel that led to the carriage house. They had one that led to a garden pavilion. But there was a mysterious third tunnel. So it shows up on the house plans. And it shows up that it's kind of under the stair, the, the western staircase. So the staircase in the western wing of the house. But it leads to a room that measures 33 feet by 16 feet. However, this room has never been found. They've never found how to access this room. So no one knows what's in there or even how to get there. So they can't find the entrance to the tunnel either? They have a suspicion of where it is, and that comes into play at the end of the book. But I can tell you no one's ever been in there. So no one knows what's hiding behind in that room. Interesting. But they do have their suspicions of what's in there. Probably the craziest part of this house was the bedrooms. And one of the most unique features was this plethora of ornately themed rooms on the second story of this home. They were designed by a Fifth Avenue company. And Woolworth insisted, these poor designers, they had to work on their designs in front of him. Like he had to be there for every part of the design process to critique it or make it exactly what he wanted. Okay. Now, every bedroom had a brass plaque that identified the name of each room. So some of these included the Edwardian room, the Empire room, the Empress Josephine room, Elizabethan room, Louis XIV room, Charlemagne room, a French Gothic room that looked like a castle, the Sheridan room, the Italian bedroom, and the Marie Antoinette room. And these were, like, completely themed out. Wow. Every square inch, which is so crazy. Like, who does that? People with too much money. Yeah. That's who does that. Three of these rooms will feature heavily in our story. Okay. Worst bedroom, which is located at the west wing of the home. Guess what that theme was? Um, Outer <laughs> space. <laughs> Very close. Um, upon entering the gold room door, you would find an exact replica of Napoleon Bonaparte's quarters at his palace, Malmaison. It included an elaborate empire bed that was once owned by Napoleon himself. And hanging above it was this gold canopy with a fleur-de-lis design that held these heavy red and gold drapes. Adjacent to that was his all-marble bathroom with gold fixtures. And it was decorated with the Napoleon imperial bees. 
Again, a solid marble bathtub and gold swan-shaped faucets. But okay, get ready for this though. Inside the bathroom was a curious panel that held a black onyx mirror. Why does he have an onyx mirror in his bathroom? I can think of no common rational reason for that. And even curiouser, it held us. It was access to a secret passage. If you knew where to push on it, you gained access to the Empress Josephine room. Interesting. It was also said by the staff that in his closet, he had antique military costumes he had collected from around the world, and he would even wear them on occasions. I mean, we all have our kink. We do. We do. The Empress Josephine room, which this passage led to, it was an exact replica, not shocking, of the one at Malmaison. And while you would imagine this room belonged to Mrs. Woolworth, his wife, you would be wrong. Oh, this room was occupied by Miss Salters, Mr. Woolworth's nurse. And constant companion who attended to all of his needs. Oh, I'm sure she did. She got the Empress room. And we'll talk about where little Miss Woolworth is. But she's not there. Now, the last room is the Marie Antoinette room. This room was a replica of Marie Antoinette's room, trimmed in colors of blue and white. And while it was beautiful, there was always a deep sadness that was palpable to anyone that entered the space. And it was said that this room was always icy cold, even in the heat of summer. Now, after the Woolworths sold the house, all of the new owners insisted that this room was to remain locked at all times. And this is where our story is going to take a dark turn, because we're going to talk about why that room was always. So before we take the dark turn, I am going to share that given the current temperature trend in Texas right now, (laughs) a room that's always cold, even in summer, sounds amazing. I know. I, I, isn't it sad? I kind of thought of that too. Like, well, that seems like a plus. Right? Sign me up. Like, it might be a little chilly in New York in January, but like the rest of the year in Texas, that sounds perfect. It is. It is. So we are going to talk about Marie Antoinette, but why that room is so spooky comes, we have to talk about something first. So this is where our story is going to take its dark turn and it's never going to really get happy after that. So, the relationship between Frank and Jenny Woolworth, his wife, became strained. Wonder why. Before or after <laughs> the nurse? Eh, it's questionable. Because while we don't really know the inner workings of their marriage, and it depends on what book you read, too. Oh, naturally. Woolworth's design choices at Winfield Hall give us a few clues. So, beginning with that great hall you walk into... There was this Woolworth coat of arms prominently displayed above the Great Hall's fireplace that he designed himself. And the crest featured Mr. Woolworth wearing a fancy-plumed warrior's helmet that was open and showed his face. (laughs) Below him is Mrs. Woolworth in an iron helmet that completely covers her face. So she's like the man in the iron mask. So his helmet's open. Hers is completely shut so you can't see her face. And you know it's her because you can clearly see it's a lady with a dress and pearls. But the helm. And, and he said that was his wife. Like, this was him. This was his wife. That speaks volumes about their inner workings. Wow. Exactly. And below that were their three daughters, Helena, Edna, and Jessie. Were their faces showing at least? Nope. Oh, yes. Yes, they okay. were. I'm sorry. Their faces were not covered. They looked beautiful and normal. But Mrs. Woolworth's was not. So tell me you think your wife's an incubator and nothing else without telling me. Yeah. Well, and it gets worse. So over the years, it's said, and I say it's said, that his wife's cognitive abilities began to fail her, and they called it that her mind became clouded, which today we would know probably was the beginning stages of dementia. 
How And the condition progressed quickly, and it's, she soon required the assistance of a nurse day and night, and she rarely left her room. However, for her room, unlike the opulent bedrooms found throughout the house, for his beloved wife, Woolworth placed her in a plain room at the end of the other wing, the farthest away from him, and all she was provided with was a bed, a dresser, and a rocking chair. And later, people close to the family claimed that Mrs. Woolworth was often locked in this plain room, and a huge tapestry was hung over the outside of the door, so guests wouldn't know there was a room at the end of the hall, let alone someone locked inside it. Okay, now I've shifted from House on Haunted Hill to Jane Eyre vibes. Yeah. There is more to this story, because many believe that Miss Woolworth's condition was actually not due to her deteriorating memory, but... The, and I say in air quotes, medicine she was given, which they believe to be laudanum, that kept her in that state. Oh, well, my money was going to be on mercury. Either way, it's not good. Well, no. So that, uh, yeah, that's why she was in that state. And he just locked her away. So he didn't have to deal with her anymore. But he had his nurse next door to him. Of course he did, because she's there to tend his every need. Mm-hmm. The darkness doesn't end here for the family. Another tra- tragedy will soon befall the Woolworths. Edna, the Woolworth's second daughter, who was actually said to be her dad's favorite. Um, little's known about her. They said she was a beautiful, sensitive woman who had this amazing singing voice. Um, and that's kind of all we know. But in 1907, she married Franklin Laws Hutton, a stockbroker and financial advisor. And in 1912, they had their only child, Barbara, who most of the world knows as Barbara Hutton, who became famous in her own right. Oh, we'll talk about who. I mean, we're not going to go into detail, but I'll explain who she was. I'm I'm, I'm blanking, though, and it's going to bother me. (laughs) Um, Now, unfortunately, the marriage foundered, and it was extremely unhappy. Franklin drank way too much and spent most of his time in the arms of other women. And Barbara even acknowledged this in her memoirs later on that said her mother was like other frustrated wives of the plaza who became a regular at the hotel bar. And asked the bartender in too loud a voice to guess when her husband had last slept with her. So it was not good. And they were living at the plaza in 1918, which that sounds lovely, the Plaza Hotel. And on the morning of May 2nd, 1918, a maid entered Edna's bedroom to find her dead on the floor. Now her death was attributed to an ear ailment, which she had suffered from. They declared it was the hardening of the bones in the ear had caused severe contraction of the tongue muscles, leading to suffocation. So, Hamlet. Yeah. Like, did you put the poison in her ear? Like, Well, others, and this was actually including other members of the family, and mm. later on, even, I think Barbara herself suspected this, that uh, Edna took her own life, and it actually wasn't the maid that found her, it was the young Barbara, her daughter. Oh, poor baby. Yeah. So... That's not the official report, but when we when people tried to look into the coroner's report to find out more, um, it mysteriously was misplaced and never found. That much money is going to stay hidden. Yeah. And even some people believe that she actually didn't die at the plaza, but this happened at Winfield Hall. But we couldn't find proof of that, but families say no, it was at Winfield. Oh, the family says that. Yeah. In the Marie Antoinette room. Well, the family that we'll talk. Like, you know, who's like we're mentioned. But they think that's where it actually was, which would explain why that room is so haunted now regardless this did happen it may have not been on the night that's the legend but this this actually did happen so they say on the night she died that lightning struck winfield and a crack went straight through edna's face on the coat of arms 
And it really did. It's there. There is a crack straight only in her face on the coat of arms and nobody else's. Wow. How creepy is that? That's crazy. Yeah. And mo- not shockingly, we're about to get into the ghost. Most of the sightings center around Edna. Now, Woolworth only enjoyed his lavish new home for a few years. His health began to deteriorate rapidly, and it was due to his teeth. And the doctors are even like, you're going to get septic poisoning. But he didn't listen, refused all treatment, and he eventually, on April 4th, 1919, traveled to Winfield. And then a few days later, he actually died at the age of 66. Body was brought to New York and eventually buried in his elaborate mausoleum that cost $100,000. And I say eventually because it was still under construction when he passed. So they kind of had a temporary place and then he was eventually moved to it. Not going to lie. PSA, if you can afford it, go to the dentist. And if you don't have it included in your health care, bother your boss until they do. Because dentistry is kind of important. Well, it is. And the reason he was so afraid of the dentist is because someone he had worked with went to the dentist for a procedure and then like died immediately after. And so he was convinced I'm never going to the dentist. They're only going to make it work worse. And it just went downhill very quickly for him because of that. So after the death of Woolworth, Winfield Hall was eventually purchased in 1929 by the wife of Richard S. Reynolds of the R.S. Reynolds Metal Company fame. So, yeah, Reynolds foil. Uh, But it it was Mrs. Reynolds who was the first one to start talking about the hauntings at Winfield. She claimed to often see the spirit of a young lady wandering in the lavish gardens. Um, she was also the one that was told about Woolworth's fascination with ancient mysteries, mysticism, and the occult. And she also remarked that she felt like people that lived in the home, that it changed them over the years. They, they just, it had this effect on anyone that would live there. It was during this time that the author of the book I read Monica Randall, who we spoke about at the beginning, she enters the story because she's the one that befriended Mrs. Reynolds. And that's how she started going to Winfield Hall. She met her. So at no point before this in his history do people mention the occult and ancient mysteries. It's only after somebody else takes over the house that we start hearing about it? That, I looked into that. Now, again, the books I'm reading are kind of the biographies. But... But she bought the house straight from the Woolworths. And she was the one, she was told about these kind of things. And some of these dark family secrets, different members of the family would kind of talk about it. And even one of the granddaughters of Woolworth, I found where she described it as a house of horrors. Like it was so, yeah. And I imagine if she bought it directly from the family, then she probably inherited some of the staff and stuff as well who had stories. Exactly. Exactly. And there were several of the staff, one gardener in particular that stayed on when eventually Monica moved in. Spoiler. um, He talked about the ghosts a lot. But she also in his libraries were all these books on the occult and mysticism. Mm. So, I mean, there is evidence to support it, though you're not going to find it in a regular biography. Makes sense. Now, eventually the Reynolds sold the home and it became a school for girls, the Grace Down School for Girls. And sadly, all those elaborate bedrooms were stripped. Oh, naturally. (laughs) And they made it into dormitories. But Monica, because she loved this house so much, she was, um, she kind of made a deal with the school's owner because she was in the commercial business. She was a model and so forth. If I book Winfield for commercial shoots and photo shoots, can I, because they saved all the, the interiors, can I have that as payment? And the school was like, okay, fine. So every time she booked a commercial shoot there, she got to take some of the furniture 
as her payment. So thankfully, she saved several pieces of the interior through this. That's amazing. We're going to start getting into the stuff that where I couldn't sleep. Oh. So at the school, Monica met Sunny, who was a cook, and she lived in the small stone cottage on the grounds. And Sunny was really psychic, very psychic. And she believed that Woolworth had worked to develop his own psychic abilities. She felt that about him. She also had her own theory regarding those elaborately themed bedrooms. She believed that Woolworth was attempting to travel back in time. Like, and that the objects he collected had a history and belonged to very important people. And she said nothing came into that house by chance. He was trying to so use them was, as anchor points. Exactly. Welcome to Winfield. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Yep. See, I knew you were going to have a lot to say <laughs> on this. We just had to get to it. So one day, Sunny mentioned to Monica that the inhabitants of the house were restless, but she wasn't talking about the living. She's, and this is what she said. They played tricks on us fools just to let us know who's really in charge. They're all here, you know, every last one of those Woolworths. How creepy is that? I mean, we say the same thing about some of the historic homes we've worked in. We do, but I don't want some of those people. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like there are very different people. <laughs> Some of them. Um, she sunny often saw spirits in the home, including the young lady in the garden. And when it she was when Monica asked her about her, she said she comes back on warm summer evenings like she's waiting for someone. She comes back year after year and she will keep coming back long after I'm gone. Oh wow. So she knew of the lady in the garden. On one occasion, Sunny did offer a pretty terrifying warning for anyone that dared to live at Winfield Hall. She said the house this is what reminds me of Stephen King almost. This house, the energy is very subtle and all around you. It controls people in ways that they're not aware. That's the danger. There's something about this house that affects people. When the girls arrive here, they seem perfectly normal. But after a time, something seems to shift. Something goes sour in them. At first, they get along. But before long, they're at each other's throats. This house was never a happy place. Yeah. I wonder if he pitted his daughters against each other to earn his favor. That's what I'm wondering. Now, before the school closed, because it does close, Sunny offered a final warning to Monica. said, this house takes hostages. It's very fickle. It brings some people luck for a time, but there's always a price to pay, and you never know what that price might be. It gives with one hand and takes with another, just like the man who built it. It was his way. He said, it's not the building but the people who are trapped here. And this, I mean, it reminded me, what is it? I've just started rewatching one of the Netflix one. I think it's the, the Bly Manor or whatever. It reminded oh, me, yeah. it's almost like people that were there, it was like they never left. Yeah. Like they never got to leave. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's all I kept thinking about as I was reading about this house. And if you're not allowed to leave or you don't feel like you can leave, you will lash out at other people and try to control what you can, and people are more malleable than physical objects. Yeah. And actually, some of her fears, they kind of were realized while she was still there. Really? Mm-hmm. Throughout its time, the students of the school reported all the ghostly happenings, and some even held seances, which I'm not against seances, but in that house, maybe don't tempt it. Maybe don't tempt that house. If you're already in a cranky mood and you're locked in an all-girls school without any hope of escape because your parents decided you're going to go there, we would both lash out via seance. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And even when it was a school, they still kept the Marie Antoinette room locked. 
it always remained locked. And Sonny even said they did that because it was not a room for the living. It was just for the dead. So here's uh, one evening, one of the students, because they kind of knew about the secret passageways. They discover one of the students decided to sneak her boyfriend into the house and they got into the Marie Antoinette room because it had a secret entrance. Yeah. There was the one that was locked. Said that the student was awakened during the night and startled by a vision of a young woman in a blue dress who stood before her crying. The ghost then whispered that the girl would be joining her soon. Two months later, not far from the house, the girl was killed in an accident just before her graduation. Now, she wasn't the only one. The following year, a similar incident occurred when one of the secretaries of the school spent the night in that room. She claimed to have been attacked by a swarm of giant bees and then two weeks later, she died of heart failure. So don't go in the Marie Antoinette room. Especially not if you're allergic to bees. Was it a bee-related accident that took the first girl? No, it okay. was a um, car accident. Okay. Car Just accident. checking. I should say that, yeah. Is it because a bee but, flew uh, into the car? <laughs> oh, maybe. May I don't know. But it's just, it's so weird. Like, it's, and Monica was... She was around. She helped teach at the school. So it's like she had this in her books. I'm assuming this is legit. Yeah. By 1975, the school closed and the house was put up for auction again. It sold for $400,000 when it originally cost $9 million. And the the buyer was a charming, mysterious man named Andre Von Brunner, who, as fate would have it, Monica would later become engaged to. Oh, naturally. And move into Winfield Hall herself just four hundred thousand dollars in this current housing market like oh my god is that not insane my house almost cost that much i know i know come on and And he was often away on business so monica was there in this house by herself like there's a caretaker on the and a gardener on the grounds but that's it she's in this enormous house by herself and she's working to fix it up she's bringing furniture back then and it, it took her about three weeks before she began to hear the sound of voices late at night only Murmurings. three weeks. Wow. Three weeks. Crying. Said she heard people walking up and down the stairs. And the voices continued throughout the night as if they were on a loop. And then on another occasion, she's in the home. A storm um, comes in, knocks out the power. She's in this giant house. So she's running around lighting candles. And as soon as she got near the Marie Antoinette room, this mist suddenly came out of the room. And kind of came towards her and floated off. And what I love about her is instead of being terrified, she just became even more fascinated and enamored with the whole house. Yes. So she she is our girl, Caitlin. So she kind of first became fascinated with the paranormal when she met Sunny. It was like, oh, what is this? She even traveled to London to attend classes at the College of Psychic Studies. Wow. To learn more about this. And that's where she kind of learned about haunting. And there they taught it was just like an imprint. So kind of like residual. It was just an event kind of playing over and over again. And um, But she said one of the most fascinating classes, which really ties into Winfield Hall, was it was an electrical engineer and a specialist in computer chip technology were called to investigate the sounds of voices in this 700-year-old building. So they they conducted an experiment. It, she says they connected electrodes to these marble walls of the building, fed 20,000 volts of electricity, and through this process, they were able to record the sounds of conversations they believed to have taken place hundreds of years ago. They theorized that because of the stone's high content of quartz, crystals, silica, and ferric salts, 
Marble had the ability to trap vibrational sounds for an indefinite period of time. Oh my God. Here's even more trippy. Later in 2001, Smithsonian Magazine published an article supporting this theory. And it said that Russian scientists had known about this phenomenon for a long time and made use of it during World War II. So they spies would go in and they um, would basically play these infrared waves at precise points on the marble in these buildings and they could hear back conversations. I, I'm still like, is this really possible? But Smithsonian said the U.S. government was horrified when they discovered that their enemy could do this. What blows my mind is that I always thought this was sci-fi, not psychic yeah. work. Because there's mm-hmm. there's an episode, of course, there's an episode of an old sci-fi show Caitlin used to watch. Um, sliders did this. They were trying to store data on, or they were trying to save data from a building that was collapsing or something. I can't remember the details. But I remember the laser pointing the blue light into a just big old quartz crystal to store the information for extraction later. And mm-hmm. like me and like, it was one of the few times my dad was watching it with me and we were both like, how are you going to get that information out later? And they left that part out because apparently the government was already doing that. Yeah. Oh no, my God. According to Smithsonian. Now I did not look up this article, so I'm trusting that Monica, but she gave it. I will find it and I will try quote. to share it on socials. Yeah. Yeah, she gave the quote that they've known about this. So in her mind, I mean, and it makes it, Winfield's made of marble. Yeah. So, I mean, what is trapped and has been recorded over the years? It kind of makes sense. Like, it's so trippy. What remains within those walls? So in addition to that. It makes, if these walls could talk, a lot scarier. Yes. Yes. And, okay, she didn't stop there. She also took a class from Hans Holzer. Dr. Hans Holzer, who is the paranormal guy on how to capture ghosts on film. So she's like, let's do this. Let's try this. So one night she set out. She grabbed her camera. She was walking around the house. She gets again to the Marie Antoinette room. And as she's film, as she's um, taking pictures, she starts seeing these blue little lights that start floating around the room. And I love how brave she is. She decides, let's follow them. She follows them into the hallway, down the stairs. They lead her into the music room. And then suddenly they disappear. And she hears this faint crash of falling plaster. And when she looked down, there was a small little gold leaf painted plaster rose at her feet. Like a gift. That is so ha- House on Haunted Hill to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> or the haunting, the haunting of Hill House. Where I'm like, oh, it's like the children. It's like leading her around oh my this God. house. Yeah, oh, whatever movie it is, whatever one has Nell in it, that's the one I keep thinking yes. of. Okay, that's the haunting. Okay, the, the haunting. haunting. There we go. It's so the haunting. Like we have the, so, the room uh, that opens up with the mirrors and the carousel effect. And we have the yes. kids leading her through the house. And... And 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 I looked it up, and apparently that movie was based on yet another horrifying mansion with weird animatronics in it. Um, oh, we need to do that one. Yeah, I, that I think one. that'd be a good idea. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, I don't know whether to applaud her bravery or wonder if she's like tied to the family somehow to where they're talking to her in a way that doesn't scare her. I think it's that. I think, she, and that's kind of what she hints at the book. I, well, I think she was tuned into that house, or 
it had a grip on her. Also valid. I think it had her. And so, I mean, she's doing this. And while she's there, of course, they're still shooting commercials. I mean, it's helping pay for the house. It's a good thing. But as they're doing all this commercial work, they're even hosting galas. Even the workers start experiencing ghosts. One worker was staying overnight. And he kept complaining that somebody was crawling around the ceiling. He was in the ballroom. He kept hearing somebody crawling around the ceiling and banging. He even had, um, he ended up firing a gunshot in the house because he saw someone coming towards him and so he fired his gun of course no one was there and then he he left he refused to stay in the house um on another another occasion they brought in decorators because it it was rented out for this big gala okay here's what starts to happen one of the workers suddenly lapsed into a coma the next day another was injured while going down the stairs Another worker woke up to find his left arm completely paralyzed, but doctors couldn't figure out a reason. And then, this is the calmest of the stories, but one of the painters had been taking pictures of the room he was painting. And when he's got his photographs back, um, there was a mysterious figure that he never saw showed up in all his photographs. Um, And that room was the Marie Antoinette room where that happened. Naturally. Naturally. Oh, and I can't believe I forgot to mention because we got to talking about the marble and the ghost. The photograph she took that night. Um, yeah, she never got those back because the plane carrying them to New York to be developed um, crashed and everything was lost, including the pilot. How weird is that? Yep. Yep. Just happened to be the plane carrying that film. Suddenly I'm starting to have wonders about uh, Crossroads Demons and how Woolworth made his millions. Uh-huh. And so because... Oh, and then... So the final straw, all this has happened getting ready for this gala. The director, the one that was in charge of the whole gala, when he was there, his hand started bleeding. But there was no apparent wound. And after that, the gala was called off. All the workers were pulled out of the house immediately, and once that decision was made, everybody made a full recovery, as if nothing had ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, we're getting to the end of our story. We're ending on a pretty, pretty big note. So, I love this. She had this friend named uh, Katia, or maybe pronouncing it, forgive me, Um, but she was a numerologist and an astrologer in New York. And, of course, she was fascinated with the paranormal. So she called her friend. She's like, you've got to come to the house. You've got to come see this. And as soon as her friend walked in, she knew instantly that Woolworth was into some very dark magic in the occult. Not on the up and up. And she started noticing that throughout the home, the walls were studded with cryptography that was disguised as art. And she exclaimed, whoever built this was into some pretty heavy stuff. Like they knew what they were doing. So one evening as a test, she and Monica left a recorder running in the house and they went into town for dinner. When they came back, they started playing back the recording. And first they just heard the sound of faint breathing. Then it became more labored, almost as if someone was gasping for air. And then suddenly the breathing stopped and it was replaced by the rhythmic sound of a beating heart. And that's all. And it just kept beating. So she really felt there's darkness in this home. Uh-huh. And she, yeah. And she warned Monica, like, it has a way of taking over a person's thoughts. 
where they have no will of their own. And this is how she described it. She said, the spirits needed the energy of the living like vampires need blood. And without it, they just remain in a form of limbo. Now you see why I couldn't read this book at night. Uh-huh. So, okay, let's end with the seance they had. They had a seance. Oh, that sounds like a spectacular idea. Let's. <laughs> just to leave our listeners creeped out. So, her friend, Katia, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, not long after her initial visit, she returned to Winfield once more, but this time she brought some friends and acquaintances for a seance. It was held in the music room, and before it began, all participants were warned that no matter what happened, they must never break the circle. You can't let go of each other's hands. So as the seance began, when the one story of the starts in- with that warning, we all know what happens. Oh, it's not going to go well. <laughs> as the seance began, one of the women in the group let out a cry, began to sob, and finally attempted to speak. And she screamed, go away from here. Just go away. And she was crying. And they asked her, who are you? And she replied, Edna Lord. I knew you were going to say Edna. Mm-hmm. So she pleaded with the group that they have to leave because they are in their father's room and no one can be in their father's room. And so they started asking her questions about her life at Winfield. And this is what she said. She said, I hated this house and everything in it. I only came to be with my mother. Mother was kept as a prisoner in this house. I only came when father was away. I took mother out of her room for walks in the garden. There was an old wooden playhouse out back that we used when we were young. My mother and I would sit inside that tiny house. We felt safe there. Mother no longer talked. She only listened. Now, she went on to insist that Mrs. Woolworth was of sound mind and understood everything that was going on. And she said her father treated his wife like a prisoner and locked her up so she could never leave. She, this, she claimed that they were giving her mother medicine, but it was laudanum that left her too weak and confused to leave the room. And she said father made her that way. She is locked up because she knows about the secret things. And when they pressed her what they were, she wouldn't say. Just the secret things. And she pleaded that she wanted to help her mother, but she was too scared that if she tried, she would be locked up. Just like her. She talked about the fire and how her father became obsessed with rebuilding the home and filling it with the finest things around, from around the world. She said that he studied books all, of, all through the night, always researching, always perfecting, always striving for more and more, always wanting the impossible. And then he brought something back from Egypt. Only then did he rest. So when the group asked her, what was it that Woolworth wanted? Edna replied, to be immortal. It's always immortality. I knew you were going to say immortality. Immortality. Yep. Yep. She even talked about how her father would lock himself in his room for days, lying in Napoleon's bed, staring into space. And when the seance was coming to an end, Edna told Monica that she loved having her in the house and pleaded with her that she must stay there forever. She wanted to stay with her forever. Yeah, she wanted company with somebody who was mm-hmm. like who was strong enough to withstand, but also like mm-hmm. weak enough to suscept like that weird balance, yeah. so that she could be affected by the house enough to be part of the house and not kicked out or injured yeah. or killed, but also strong enough to not completely capitulate to. Her dad. And I'm over here like, dad was non-specific as to how he wanted to maintain his immortality. Mm-hmm. And dude's stuck in the house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He didn't clarify that he wanted it in his human physical form. Didn't clarify. Oh, it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you gotta be specific. Well, so as the seance is coming to an end, 
Monica actually looks across and sees the face of one of the men, and she said it seemed hideously altered, as though every muscle and facial nerve was now frozen in rage. And Edna screamed, and suddenly the man lunged for Monica's throat before he was restrained by the other circle members. And he started screaming, this is my house. I worked for it all my life to build this. This belongs to me. Get out. And he repeatedly roared, get out. This is my house over and over again. And when Monica shouted back at him, the man jerked forward again. But thankfully, the group was able to stop him before he grabbed her. And that's when the seance became, came to an abrupt end. Now, they recorded the seance, but when they played the tape back, there was nothing there except the sound of that rhythmic beating heart. And after that, the energy of the house was forever altered. Forever altered so, in what way? Well, for Monica. Oh. The house she fell in. Yeah. It took a, it, it just. It soured for It's her, almost for sure. like it's. Yeah. It's. And it kind of stayed dark. So without spoiling the ending of the book, because there is something that will happen. I will say that Monica was determined to learn more about the secret life of Woolworth and the occult practices. She went through his whole library and found t- all these books on time travel. And it's even believed because Tesla at that time was going around to all the millionaires in the yeah. area because he was fascinated with it as well. True. Though there's no proof yet, she really suspected that he and Tesla may have had some conversations. Interesting. And she traced one of Woolworth's fascinations back through his through what she was reading to it ended with Napoleon again. Supposedly, the story was that Napoleon had his own fascination with Egypt. And when he was there, he stepped into a pyramid and into the chambers and had this transformative experience while he was in there. And he came back a changed man. And though historians today are kind of like, we don't think that ever happened. She really believed that's what Woolworth was kind of trying to recreate. So what was that chamber? And is that where, where he that pulled the thing from? That he came mm-hmm. back from Egypt and was finally calm that his daughter was talking about. Yeah. Is it the same place? Yeah. Was she trying, was he trying to? He was trying to duplicate Napoleon experience. left, right, and center. So I have no doubt that he brought back something yeah. that either was from the same chamber or was suitably compatible enough to the concept that he's like okay i've achieved that now i can chill (laughs) exactly so to end the longer monica lived in the home the energy just seemed to turn darker and more sinister and eventually as it had happened to somi before bad luck arrived for her fiance andre whose business had begun to fail shortly after purchasing winfield and he lost the home um over the years it continued to change hands and in 2022, the Winfield Hall was purchased by a new owners, marking the end of the property's 20-year search. Um, today, it continues to stand as a testament to the bygone gilded days of the Gold Coast. However, so I think behind the gilded facade, it said that the unseen inhabitants are restless, and Woolworth still rules over his domain, daring anyone that tries to make his house their home. And that's Winfield. There you go. So from the jump, you remember the stubborn streak that I had that I was interacting with at the historic home that I used to run? Mm-hmm. Um, how I used to complain that they didn't want visitors, but they also wanted the house taken care of like it was in their day. Mm-hmm. And like, you can't have it both ways without visitors. We don't maintain the house. Like, mm-hmm. do you want this marble 
palace to crumble into dust because without an owner to take care of it, that's what happens, babe. Yeah. It, I, I don't think they do. I mean, I, I think that makes sense. Like, you need people there to keep it up. I don't I don't think he does. And here's what's creepy. So after reading this, I went back today and rewatched that episode. And Lisa Williams there. And all she said was there's this man that keeps screaming, get out. This is my house. Get out of it. It's my. And that's what he kept saying over again was, this is my house. This is my house. You're in my house. And when she went into his private area, she picked up on, she goes, this man was into the occult. And she's like, do you think? And he goes, she goes, I see sacrifices. I see rituals. And they're not good. She also picked up on, I hear a woman screaming upstairs and wanting out. Yeah. So, she, I mean, she picked up on all of it. It is wild. It is, And I'm like, that's what started my fast. I've been fascinated with this house ever since because of that. Or maybe it's got a hold on me, too. I don't know. I mean, if it does, then you don't get to go visit it without me. Because <laughs> I, A, like causing trouble. Um, and B, you're, you're just not allowed to go without me. <laughs> okay. I, I know. And go back. So you were talking about the rooms. I wanted to touch on this real quick. Mm-hmm. The, okay. So the objects, you, you said they're what kind of points? Anchor points. Um, okay. So explain that. That's a that's a it's a concept that exists in my brain, and I don't know if, where I pulled the the description from because I don't remember reading mm-hmm. about it or anything. But basically, it's kind of like super active psychometry, where uh-huh. um, like with psychometry, you pick up the object or you touch the object, and you can see its history, you can see its owners. Okay. There's a version of that where you're trying to access it, either going through it to a point in time where the object was important, where like. I don't know, for like the sword and the stone, it would be the moment Arthur pulled the uh-huh. sword from the stone. Um, uh-huh. But for other objects, they're trying to get back to when it was created, like when the mirror was made or when the tapestry oh, was sewn. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, you're trying to access the item's history to get... All the words just flew out of my head. Um, but basically, you're trying to access the past through the item's past and use it as an anchor point, is all I can just think of to describe it, to go to okay. and from throughout time. Okay, so that makes so much sense. Kind of like in Somewhere in Time, where he's in the hotel and he's got... I haven't like, seen that, but I believe you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, it's very much like he goes to the hotel, he dresses all in period clothing and has the objects, and he's like trying to go back in time. Yeah. Okay, see, th- that's what I suspected, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about it, because I was like, okay, yeah, he is, and he's trying to... They also talk about almost like soaking in this power from these other great leaders and just it's funny when you read his book the the biographies it's like oh this genius nice caring man he loved his wife so much but it's like or start looking at the evidence it's like did he yeah did he i don't know why didn't if he loved her so much she should have been in the empress josephine room she should have been next to him at the very least she shouldn't have been like locked up with a tapestry over the door how crazy is that? And I mean, even, which we won't go into, but even Edna's daughter, the rest of her life is just tragic. I mean, it's just like, what happens to all these people that are connected? I mean, it kind of feels like he sold his soul. For yeah, he, he soul. opened something and created a world mm-hmm. that everybody's paying for. Yeah, I think so, too. So I'm curious. I looked at a recent picture and the new owners are working on restoring the home, and they, but they've cleared out 
every all the ground. So it's just like this bare house and nothing around it. I don't I guess they're going to keep redo it, but they're they're fixing it up. So we'll see what happens. Doesn't seem to go well for people that own it, though. Doesn't seem to go well for anyone who goes near it. No, and there's there was even a story Monica talked about it on that show, but I don't remember seeing it in her book. I may have meant, I don't think I missed it, but even a man that was found murdered in one of the tunnels in the 20s, but they didn't find his body till like the 70s. I mean, just crazy stuff around this house. Um, But for anyone that wants to know the ending of the story, and even more detail, because I did leave some really, some stuff out, you have to read the book. It is a page turner. Like, you can't put the book down. Um, but it, it has a pretty big conclusion in the end that, um, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't read this book at night. I tried a couple of times. and I'm like, there's no way there's no way I can read this. at night. That's fair. I will never for the life of me understand spirits that insist that it is their space and you have to get out like, dude, unless you're helping me pay the property taxes and or the rent, you really don't get to tell me to get out. I understand it, but that probably goes with his personality because, um, like, she even had his handwriting analyzed when she was doing her research. Yes, what yeah. they say, what they say. Okay, I'll I'll tell it. I actually let me pull up. I had it in the notes. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. Okay, here it is. So, um, when she had it, had and she didn't tell the woman who it was. She just showed the handwriting. Yeah. So the um the person that analyzed it said he was a creative person, a genius of sort. Very materialistic, very persistent, would stop at nothing to get what he wanted. He had a tendency towards cruelty, and he could even be sadistic at times. Trusted no one, uh, was very secretive, even among his family. Oh, this was interesting. She said, this person does things in twos, which it was true. Like, he had the two organs. He had two empire rooms. He had two private studies. Like, he, he, oh, he had two entrances to almost every room in that house. One everybody knew about and one known only to him. He even had two houses because the first one burned down. Yeah. Uh, one he had his in New York, too, which they usually have multiple. But the the entrances to rooms creeps me out that he had his own secret entrance to most of the rooms. Yeah, that's uber controlling in a very uncomfortable way. Yeah. Sus- uh, suspicious of people. It could be kind of a megalomaniac. Shocking. Let's see. He he liked to control people like puppets on a string. He would pit people against each other. I knew it. That's what he did to his daughter. Yeah. But she said the only like good she could find from the handwriting was that it did show he had a love of art and music and history. <laughs> but then when, when Monica asked her, so what effect would all this have on this person's family? The lady replied, I would shudder to think. And that's what she got from his handwriting yeah that's horrifying i think he was a monster agree i really do i think he was a monster 100 percent. that coat of arms alone that says everything you need to know about 100 percent. yeah it's um i, I it, it's so, i never even thought about it but it is like the haunting of hill house and crane his name was crane thank you i could not like, think of his name yeah no the control the demands the insistence on his way or his way or his way Oh, and the female spirit and the lights and kind of leading her. Yeah. And oh, it just broke my heart when she just kept saying, I want you to stay with me forever. And Monica's like, I can't stay forever. And just pleading with her. And I'm like, part of me was like, please don't die in this house. Please don't die in this house. 
like, which I guess she can. She wrote the book later. But I mean, I'm like, that's that's I, I and I don't know. It kind of goes against what I believe. I don't believe people are like get trapped in a house when they die. I don't. But it's just like, this is really creepy. It's a spooky story. Yeah. But I could see him refusing to leave that house. Oh, God, yes. Absolutely refusing to leave. And if Edna feels like there's still stuff she has to do or to help her mom, she could leave, but she may be there just... Or even if her mom left because she's so ingrained psychologically that she has to be there to protect her mom, she can't budge herself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, even if mom's gone, it's still going to be the cyclical pattern. Yeah, no, it, it it's... It's very similar. Or even like, I kept also thinking of Rose Red, Stephen King's Rose Red, Mm. where anyone that comes in the house like falls on bad luck and, and uh, gets trapped. And well, to be fair, his concept is I am the only one who's allowed to have the good luck. That's true. So I think that's part of it. Like he didn't want anybody else. He didn't want anybody else living in that house. So yeah, he would do anything. But the manipulation and especially how she said it was subtle. Yeah, catch it. I, I'm suddenly wondering about what the personality of the nurse would have been like. I know. Like, was she just easily like manipulated, or is this like those magical moments where the serial killers like you don't often see partnerships in serial killers because you know you just don't. They tend to be pretty psychologically screwed up in their own special ways. But you occasionally find those compatible ones that latch on and make each other so much worse. I know, and 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 I know, Monica doesn't talk about her much in her book, and of course in the other ones, it's like she was his nurse and cared for him, and we're so grateful for you know it was it was a whole different ballgame how they explained her. So I don't, I I think it's weird she's in the room right next to him. I mean, some could be like, well, she's there if, if he needs her, but I'm like, mm, there's a lot of rooms in that hallway. You could be pretty close without being right next door to him. Given the history we have of. Older wealthy gentlemen who have a nurse in the house that then mm-hmm. helps take care of them after their wife dies and then ends up marrying them. Like that that's a, yeah. that's an established pattern. So yeah, she was seeing to his needs. She was there for all kinds of comfort. I think so too. And too bad for her. He died first and he never finalized his will. How crazy is that? He had it drawn up, but he never signed it. So everything went to his wife Jenny. So she got it all. Oh, dip. Yeah. Yeah. She got it all. And then eventually it was, I think she outlived him by like five years. And then it was eventually kind of parceled out. But uh, yeah, no, that's who it went to. That's all of it. When you're too controlling to finalize where stuff goes, it goes to the person that you've been ignoring and belittling for decades. I, I do know, like I that poetry. Was, not going to lie. I do too. I thought it was pretty good karma that's that that's who got all of it. And I and it was sad because I did read somewhere where she had once said like she missed the days of like when they were poor and on the farm. Yeah, I'll bet. She liked those You know, and and that says something about their relationship too. Like she She was still valued as a partner at that point. Oh time. yeah. And I I assume it seems like they were in love, but I don't know, could he love? Really? I don't know if he was I, that I big a narcissist, probably not. <sighs> it sounds like he was. I mean, some there were even um some that said he basically thought he was the reincarnation of Napoleon. Like, he just felt, I am the reincarnation of him. I Which, yeah, I believe that. I would, too. <laughs> I mean, so it all, all roads back, all roads lead back to Napoleon. 
it always goes back to Napoleon. It doesn't matter what U.S. history or European history you're talking about. It, I know. It'll, at least Western European history. Yeah. It'll it'll tie back to Napoleon. It all goes back to Napoleon. Yep. Well, I guess I know this has been a long one, but it I don't know. It was fascinating I, though, and I don't know what you could have cut to make it shorter. So like, yeah. Okay. Thank you. I can't. I I kept trying. Trust me, it was longer, and I kept cutting, cutting, and I'm like, okay, I, I'm done cutting. I can't cut anymore. No, for sure. But, but um, I guess we'll let our listeners go enjoy the super long episode. <laughs> yes, on this very long, dark summer day that. Not dark. I wish it was dark. On this long, endlessly bright summer day that we all wish we could be in the Marie Antoinette room, curse aside, because it's nice and cool in there all the time. I know. And I, I was like, why that room, Marie? I love Marie. I'm fascinated with her. Why? But I mean, maybe it's appropriate. Her ending wasn't very good either. So. I mean, valid. <laughs> well, on that bright and shiny note, we're yeah. glad you all are here and you've uh, gone with us on Caitlin's voice journey to come back to us. <laughs> And since this one, if you're watching it on YouTube, please like the video and let us know how you thought about seeing my reactions to Jess's horror show story. <laughs> and uh, if you're listening to us on the normal podcast channels, you know the drill. Leave us a like and a subscribe and a review and anything else to help Apple and Spotify and whoever to know that we're worth talking about and we're worth sharing. <laughs> and by all means, tell your friends because, I mean, good friends make each other listen to their favorite podcasts. Good point. Good point. And of course, we want to hear from you. So let us know what you think about this crazy episode. And if there are any spirited topics you want us to explore in future episodes, as always, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can email us at CallingAllSpiritsPod at gmail.com. You can sign up for Patreon. So many ways to get in touch with us. And if you're feeling lucky, don't go to the Woolworth Mansion is my entire takeaway, because <laughs> your luck will be done after that. Yeah, no, stay away. Stay far away. No. Um, but until next time, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.